for me, it was just, it was almost like my way to thumb my nose at the whole process of infertility. Like I'm going to have, I'm going to be a mom and it doesn't matter how I'm a mom, whether I adopt a baby, whether I have one, you know, physically for my body, but I was bound and determined that I was going to be a mom. And every time I knit a baby item, it was like my way of saying, you're not going to take this away from me. I have faith that this is going to happen. So it was a real tangible kind of symbol of hope for me and, and, and just an unshakable belief that it was going to happen no matter what. That was Carol Solkowski, a knitwear designer and author of Knitting Ephemera on this episode of Power Pearls Podcast, where you'll always hear candid conversations with everyday knitters and designers with compelling backstories. I'm Kara Gott Warner, editor of Creative Knitting and host of Power Pearls Podcast. And I will dig deep and ask the big questions, why we started knitting and what keeps our needles going. Hey, Power Pearls listeners, I'm always looking for ways to take my knitting skills to new heights, and I know that you are too. So you may want to take a look at the lineup of online classes that Annie's has to offer. You can learn from the most sought after instructors such as Patty Lyons and Beth Whiteside, both who, by the way, have been guests on this podcast. And also from Tabitha Hedrick, who I like to call my sidekick in crime as contributing editor of Creative Knitting Magazine and on our monthly-ish episode series called Ask Kara and Tabitha Anything. So if you want to check out the full lineup of knitting courses, you can do this by going to anniesonlineclasses.com and you can watch them on demand 24-7 anytime you want. And if you're a binge watcher like I am when it comes to online learning, I think you're really going to love this platform. So check it out. I'm so excited that you could join me for yet another episode of Power Pearls podcast. And before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to say thanks for following along if you've been uh, paying attention to what I've been doing over the past few episodes where I've been uh, coming, uh, you know, creating episodes more frequently because I've been on Facebook Live every Friday. And uh, this past Friday, I was just on at four o'clock, you know, instead of at noon as I did the week before. So I'd love to hear what you think about that new time because I might just keep it a little bit later in the day or, you know, play around with it a little bit, but I know that being consistent is really important. And I talk about that in in the podcast episode that I released that morning, talking about the consistency thing. And so I know that it will be a lot easier if I pick a time and we stick to it. I kind of do like that noon hour. Uh, because, you know, especially in, in the Eastern time zone, a lot of people are kind of, you know, ready to go to lunch and they like that time slot because, you know, they can um, kind of kick back while they're having lunch and also just, you know, getting ready for the weekend. So I thought that was a really great time to try it out. So um, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards towards that time, but I'd love to hear what you think about that. So on to the episode with Carol. So Carol is an attorney by day, and she is a knitting author, hand dyer, and designer the rest of the time. And today on this episode, we're going to talk about her most recent book, Knitting Ephemera. But before we do, we're going to kind of go back in time and talk about her journey into the knitting world. And her pivotal moment is really interesting. So I think you're going to really enjoy that. And, um, you know, because she really does dig deep and it's very inspirational. Um, But about the book, uh, so Knitting Ephemera, if you haven't heard about it yet, it's a volume of facts, anecdotes historical tidbits and trivia. And you'll also find, you know, a lot of other fun information in the book about the fiber world. And so I always thought, you know, for myself anyway, I always felt like, you know, me, no, I'm not into the trivia side uh, or the history stuff. I just want to get down to the nitty gritty and, you know, just get a pattern book. I'm interested in, in the patterns, right? But 
this is a very uh, interesting read and it's very entertaining. So if you listen through to the end of this episode, I give you some information about how you can enter to win a copy of her book. I'm giving away, actually Carol is so generous, is giving away three copies of the book. So you want to listen to the end. And also, you know, Carol has quite a track record. She's got about five knitting books under her belt. So it's amazing what she's done. And, uh, you know, so she's also been, you know, she's been in magazines. She's been published in magazines such as Creative Knitting, for example. She's been in uh, and many other popular magazines as well. And she does write for uh, trade journals as well. And she has a line of yarn if, you know, writing books wasn't enough. She has a collection called Black Bunny Fibers. And so uh, there's information for that in the show notes. So that's about it. So without further ado, let's jump in and meet Carol Sulkowski. Hey, Carol, I'm so glad that you could join me today for Power Pearls podcast. I'm excited to be here. Well, this is great because, you know, we've been trying to like connect like this for a while. I mean, we've talked at all the trade shows and the consumer, consumer events, you know, we, we've enjoyed drinks together, but we've never really had the time to sit and connect and, you know, just talk about this passion that we have for yarn and knitting and, you know, how it's helped to manifest these amazing careers, the friends we have and the opportunities that we're going to dig into because we're going to talk about your book, Knitting Ephemera. I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> Great. So, um, but yeah, you know, before we we dig into that to the book, I, I want you to talk a little bit more about yourself, you know, and talk about your personal journey to the knitting world. And I really want you to go deep here. I want you to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, just kind of really dive in there because, you know, the fiber world can be a bit of a tough business. I mean, I think, um, you know, we all know that if we're, we're in this and, you know, we, we just got into this because, you know, we didn't imagine the, the riches, right. We, we just <laughs> got into it because, right. So, you know, we just got into it because we just loved it so much. You just, we couldn't help ourselves. So I want to dive into that first question and to, you know, to kick off a colorful, colorful conversation, I hope. And it, it's something that I like to ask a lot of my guests and, it's to ask you to, to really talk about a pivotal moment in your life that turned you on to knitting, like, you know, just like a full-on passion, like, because, you know, because I know a lot of knitters have stories about how they started, you know, wh- or why they started. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it has to do with loss or, you know, a change of life of some kind. So can you take us there? Of course In I your can. life? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So go for it. Well, I, I think these stories always start out with my mom or my grandmom taught me how to knit. And my mom yes. actually did teach me <laughs> in the 70s when I was a child on Harvest Gold wind tuck yarn. I don't even think they make it anymore. But it was just a passing thing. I saw her knitting. She was a big crocheter. She taught me and it didn't really stick. And then when I was an adult, um, after I graduated from school, I began working. Um, I'm a lawyer, so I began working for um, law firms. And the kind of law that I was involved in was civil litigation, which is a really stressful way to practice law. And what I found was that I was really gravitating towards something to do at night that would relax me. And I happened to see a magazine. It was probably like a Martha Stewart magazine or something that talked about knitting and had little, you know, easy to make items. And I thought, I know how to do that. So I started picking up, um, you know, I went to a yarn shop and I looked it up in the yellow pages because there was no internet back then. <laughs> so when was this? Like what, um, what year would It would you have say? been like the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember because I had only seen, um, when I grew up, we would just go to like Kmart or Grants, it was called then, to get yarn because there were no knitting shops in my hometown. It was a smaller town. And I remember looking up in the phone book and seeing this ad like knitting shops and thinking, oh my gosh, they exist. And walking into a knitting shop and just <laughs> being like, oh my gosh, I never knew that this kind of stuff existed. And so um, I remember that I went to Borders 
And I have to give a shout out to Debbie Bliss because Borders carried these beautiful books of hers. And again, I just was in awe because I had never known that there was that kind of elegant, classic, beautifully styled knitting pattern out there. I just was never exposed to it. And I started knitting and um, I made a lot of baby gifts for people's friends. And then it was right around the time that my husband and my then husband and I, you know, we, we dated for a while and I wanted, we wanted to have kids and um, we had a hard time and was kind of shocking, but we, I had a hard time getting pregnant and we ended up going through a bunch of infertility treatment. And that was when I think for me, knitting went from being a hobby to a passion. Um, I found myself just knitting baby item after baby item. And my husband used to laugh and say that I had a baby hope chest, but um, it was, it was not so much the stress, although it, it helped because anybody who's gone through any sort of infertility knows how awful and stressful it is. But um, and it's a roller coaster. Like, you know, it's just every month you go through this, you get excited and then it doesn't happen and it's soul crushing. Um, and so for me, it was just, it was almost like my way to thumb my nose at the whole process of infertility. Like I'm going to have, mm. I'm going to be a mom. And it doesn't matter how I'm a mom, whether I adopt a baby, whether I have one, you know, physically for my body, but I was bound and determined that I was going to be a mom. And every time I knit a baby item, it was like my way of saying, you're not going to take this away from me. I have faith that this is going to happen. So it was a real tangible kind of symbol of hope for me and, and, and just an unshakable belief that it was going to happen no matter what. And so that was really when you know, knitting kind of got into my soul. You know, I like what you said, the symbol of belief that it would happen. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that is the magic ingredient. I think like in anything, like no matter what it is that we're doing in our life, whether like in your case, you know, trying to get pregnant or, you know, that you would be a mother one way or another. Right. But you knew like that it wasn't like, yeah, I, you know, I believe it, you know, like the words, it wasn't just words. It was like, you just, you knew, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, yeah, it was like my vow. Like every stitch was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It was not amazing. at all like, you know, it wasn't like, okay, Sarah, Sarah, I, I, there was no Zen involved. It was definitely <laughs> like, I'm going to do this and I don't care. And every stitch I took was just like, you know, another step that I marched toward motherhood. And so would you say that it took this doubt away? Like you didn't feel, I mean, look, we all have doubts, but I mean, you were very confident. It gave you confidence, gave right? Confidence so you really and hope because I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how exactly it would happen. And my husband and I had already started talking, like, if this doesn't happen, like, would you be okay, open to adopting? And we both were like, we don't care how we get a, a kid. We just want a child to mm. love and be part of our lives. So it was just almost like, um, it was like made me feel almost more in control of a situation that was horribly out of control from, from my standpoint. And it was just kind mm -hmm. of like reasserting control over this. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how to, how to explain it anymore than that. No, I, I can kind of uh, relate. I mean, I know it's funny, we're going down this path because I I personally, I never had trouble with, with fertility, but I, I didn't get pregnant until I was 39. And so I had this idea like, oh my gosh, it's not going to happen. And I was grasping. Like, so it sounds like for you, like you, as soon as you let go, like, cause you, you know, when you feel out of control and things are spinning, then you're, you're kind of gripping onto things and then things just slip away. Mm -hmm. And maybe in a way, you know, each stitch and each, you know, this, this kind of became this refuge, if you will, or yeah. this, uh, you know, rock for you that you just, it helped you to let go because you knew one way or another, you'd be a mother, whether you adopted or you had your own birth child. And that was kind of what I, I was going through. I said, I kind of came to this thing where I let go. And four months later I was pregnant, Oh wow! you know, <laughs> you know, but it was just, I was, probably fine at, you know, at that point. It's just that I never thought that could happen at my age, but you know, it's not so odd to get pregnant at 39, No, no <laughs> you know, not at all. but, but it, but anyway, my, my point is, is that letting go and not grasping so hard is when things, it's like you're opening things up in your life. You're opening the door for things to come in. And it sounds like that's what knitting did, 
you know, yeah, did for well, you. They always helped say you. that if you if you're grabbing something tight, you can't hold on to it because you're making a fist. But if you yes. open up your hand, then you can actually hold something in it. Absolutely. Actually, I've 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 mentioned that analogy uh, or metaphor uh, in a, in other um, recordings here on Power Pearls. And, <laughs> and I use, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used the example of a coin. Have you ever heard that one where, you know, if you have a coin resting on your hand, if it's open to the sky, it's just going to reside. It's just going to abide in your hand, right? But if you if you turn it over, it falls. But mm. the only way to to hold it is to grasp it, like squeeze like crazy. But all you have to, you know, and that's if your hand's down, right? So you have to just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. But if you just relax and turn your hand up upward, the coin just sits there. Mm. It's not going to go anywhere. Anyway. I, heard, I I don't remember where I heard that, but that one really helps me a lot. But um, so I was gonna. My next question was to ask you what the biggest lesson knitting has taught you during this time of your life. But I'm thinking that perhaps you answered it, or maybe I sort of half answered it <laughs> with the whole letting go thing. But is there is there a deeper layer here? Like, what is there a bigger lesson that knitting taught you? I think um, knitting really taught me that I. <laughs> I had a creative side, which I never would have thought necessarily to have. And it, um, it gave me kind of confidence in trusting my instincts. Um, because, and also in just learning that, I mean, one thing that it's taught me over the years is that there's all different kinds of people in the world and all different kinds of knitters in the world. And everyone does things for their own reasons. And, you know, one person might only make washcloths and one person might only knit fair isle and one person might only knit lace. And that's okay that it's like a big wide world and there's a place at the table for everybody. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So did this, do you think that this lesson led you down the path to designing Is that, that, that confidence that it gave you? Um, yeah, you know, I was, I had stopped working outside the home when my kids were born. And so, it kind of really plugged into the place that I was, which was I had been used to doing a lot, like a big, you know, a job was a big part of my life. And then I was, you know, minding kids. And um, so knitting was sort of a way for me to kind of work my brain and be creative and, and accomplish things that weren't directly related to, to take care of my kids. Um, mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that I just loved it so much that I just wanted to do it. And I started designing mostly because I would, I started, you know, I would knit patterns. And then I got to the point where I was changing them a little bit. And I would think like, well, I like this, but I think if it had this kind of edging, I would like it more. And I gradually mm -hmm. began to do more and more. And then I started to get ideas for things that weren't, you know, just a modification and kind of went with that. And so do you feel like it emerged um, organically for you yes. or was it like, yeah. No. So it wasn't like you said, I am going to be a designer and I'm going to build no. this empire. No. That's so funny. <laughs> like people always ask me how I got into it. And kind of like the only real answer is serendipity. I was mm -hmm. blogging because I like to write and I was blogging about knitting because I love knitting. And it was the time when blogs were really hot and just, you know, new. And mm -hmm. that was sort of how I first dipped my toes in the water. And I was shocked to learn that anyone actually like the first time someone commented on my blog, I was like, wow, this thing is on. Someone's actually <laughs> reading this, you know? <laughs> and oh, then um, people would say, Oh, well you write such nice blog posts. Like you should start writing for magazines. And so, you know, that kind of that sort of flowed from, from blogging. Um, and I, I worked at a, at my local knitting shop part-time for a while. And, you know, that kind of showed me a different piece of the yarn industry that was interesting. And mm -hmm. I started submitting designs to some um, places like Nitty at first. And then I started kind of just developing. I mean, it's hard to get published in a national magazine. I can't even tell you how many proposals and submissions I sent out over and over again that were rejected. I mean, and that's just part of the, you know, it's part of the process, I think, is like, you, you have to throw a lot of stuff out there and you have to be patient and you have to stick with it. Yeah. I think a lot of people say that, uh, you know, use that phrase fail forward. Uh, you know, you always hear the, those really, f you know, the, the, the known people that look like overnight successes, but they really took 10 years to become an exactly, overnight success, exactly. but you know, the authors, uh, 
you know, uh, I could throw names out, but you know who they are. But, you know, they they sent, you know, it seems like the, that lucky number is like 100, you know, <laughs> right. like rejection letters or something for, you know. So, yeah, I think that's that's where it's at, because if it was that easy, you know, what would we learn from it anyway? You know, so I think it's and it's worth all that work. It's worth it. You know, you learn, it t- you know, you learn something every time you, you know, you first start out thinking the industry is one way and then you just sort of start to see how relationships work, how um, you build a career. You don't just you don't start with a magazine that's on every you know, on the, sh- on the shelf all over the country, you start a little bit at a time. And, um, you know, people think, oh, you just put one on, put a pattern on Ravelry and it'll go viral. And, you know, that happens so rarely. I mean, mm-hmm. for most of us, that's just, if you get one or two patterns that go viral, you're like, yay, yay. Like that's a big deal. But for most yeah. people that doesn't happen just statistically. Yeah. So and 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 wishing for that or wanting that, thinking that that's the golden ticket, is the obstacle. That's uh, yeah. I think the less you care about that, the more likely you are to have something genuine that really does capture people's lives. Absolutely. So yeah, all of this it's it's all about stepping stones. You know, it's like well, it's amazing to look back and see, like how your your career has has grown organically. And so, you know what? How then on the progression, you know, how did you, how did knitting lead you to writing your first book? And I should say also blogging, because obviously you, you loved blogging and you, so they kind of worked in tandem. Mm-hmm. So, um, how did that start? Like what, what brought you to writing that very first book? Cause I know this, this book is not your first. <laughs> no, it's number five. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is. It blows my mind. Um, well, I was working at a knitting shop and, um, we all, kept saying, oh, you know, everybody was like making their own patterns. And it was just an exciting time in the knitting world because knitting books were just it. And we were like, you know, we really wanted to do a book together. And um, one of the things that we all loved about the shop was that um, they carried a lot of uh, fine gauge yarns. And, you know, I was not born loving fine yarns. I kind of came to love them as I used them more. And, but everyone at the shop just had this sort of passion for finer gauge yarns, like fingering weight, lace weight, sport weight. And so we had this idea that we would do a book that was about fine gauge yarns. And I mean, it was really, we had all been doing different things in the industry for years. You know, uh, Lisa was, Lisa Myers was the owner of the shop and she had designed and um, now she owns the Manos, United States Manos company. Yes. And yeah. Laura Gretzik was another person who just had just been making sweater after sweater. She makes beautiful, exquisitely tailored designs. And so um, we put a submission together and we were at TNNA and, you know, <laughs> Lisa knew, I think, Pam Allen a little bit. And we just kind of went up to her and we're like, you know, mm-hmm. what do you think? We have this idea. And she was <laughs> like, sounds great. Send in a proposal. And we sent in a proposal and it was kind of just the right idea and the right place at the right time. Yeah. I remember that book. I remember it because it, it, exactly. I loved it. And I remember, uh, that was the first time I ever learned what a blog tour was. Cause you guys did a, you guys Mm -hmm. did a blog tour and I followed that. I'm like, this is so cool. This is so, so I remember that book and that, that was, that was a pretty awesome concept. Yeah, they wanted to call it knitting, knitting skinny, and I was like, "No, we can't call it that." People no, that's... will laugh because my butt is so big. They'll be like, "Oh, oh she's no. not knitting skinny." <laughs> but I think Nitha no, finds a great name. Yeah, absolutely. It's very memorable. Like that's why I <laughs> totally, way. I still, I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what is your true love? I do. I think writing is probably the first love, but, um, but each thing kind of plays off the others and I sort of get in different moods where, you know, I'll just be like, I need to dye some yarn and, or I'll be in the mood where I'm like, I haven't knit in a while. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have to knit something or I'm going to explode. So it's hard for me to pick one thing. And I think I like the fact that I do a lot of different things um, because it keeps me from getting frustrated or bored. 
Mm, yeah, I, exactly. I was going to say, like, it probably makes the, you know, when you switch gears, you feel very fresh when you go back to the other. Yeah, and I've noticed if I don't, activity. if I don't dye yarn for a little while, and then I go back, I'm like, wow, this stuff looks great. It's like, it's like you said, fresh, and you know, you kind mm -hmm. of, um, you you recharge your batteries creatively. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So let's switch things up a little bit, and we'll talk about your book now, your new book, <laughs> Knitting, Ephem Knitting Ephemera. Yes. So this is a treasure trove of trivia. <laughs> so amazing. Um, you know, when I was looking through it myself, I was placing like little sticky notes everywhere. So I wouldn't forget to talk about my favorite pieces or quotes or whatever. It's just like, it's, it's so cool. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to like, kind of, you know, sh talk about a few of them, you know, sure. and then you can kind of chime in. <laughs> um, I think my favorite though is the acronyms section um, and one that I've never heard. Sa Sable is oh, my favorite. Stash <laughs> amassed beyond life expectancy. Stash amassed acquisition. beyond life expectancy. Well, you said acquisition. Stash acquisition beyond life expectancy. Yeah, I mean, there's different versions of it, but yeah. yeah. Oh, there is? Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, and then I think I connected with the runner one. And I know that, that was, uh, that's one that was in the, the airwaves a few years ago, the runner that Yes. Knitted the scarf. That's a good one. I, I can't even imagine how somebody could knit a scarf while running. It blows my mind. I I know. I thought maybe, is this like a Facebook sort of Photoshop something or other? No, no. But, <laughs> it's you know, legit, me, as the kids would say. It's just, I mean, I, because I run, but I don't really think it's, it's, that's one place that I'm like, I kind of get into my zone and I'm like kind of blissed out, you know, so I don't really crave knitting while I'm running because it wouldn't be fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, I like the but, fluidity but, of knitting and I think it would become um, less fluid and more sort of joggy, like, you know, like joggy, jarring, right. Yeah, and jarring, jarring, that's a good word. Yeah. And also running, running is a fluid thing. Once you right. get into like rhythm, when you're, if you, you know, if that's your thing. Um, and then this Q and a knitting joke. So like the one, why did the sheep avoid going to bars? She didn't want to be carded. <laughs> you really got to be a knitter or a crocheter to get that. But, but anyway, this is, this is great. So, um, you know, what inspired you to write a book like this instead of, you know, knitting patterns or, you know, you know, what, why, why this, why this kind of book? Well, um, I, I always tell people that I come from a long line of people who are sort of obsessed with factoids. Mm -hmm. And my father um, was a chemistry teacher for many years, but he was somebody who knew a lot about everything. Like you could just, he would just come out with this, these, like, he was like Cliff Clavin. Like he had a statistic or a piece mm -hmm. of trivia about something. He was, he knew everything there was to know about World War II. He was, you know, he, all this, you know, all kinds of facts that were kind of in his head and he would tell you and he actually got accepted to um to be on jeopardy back when art Fleming was really lost, but he wasn't able to go because you had to commit to staying in new york for a certain period of time and he taught and he couldn't do that but um so i think some of it is just sort of in my blood is that fascination with little bits and pieces of information um but i had been writing articles and I was also getting a chance to talk to people who were in the industry who had really interesting stories. And so um, I remember I did an article on the history of circular needles and I talked to um, people from the Denise interchangeable company that, you know, is like a family business and yeah. it told this wonderful story about, you know, the founder of the company was knitting baby blankets for the kids in the neighborhood and she couldn't fit all her stitches on straight needles. And her husband was a materials engineer or something like that. And so she said, can you make me something that will hold all of the stitches on this blanket? And so he was tinkering and he took chopped off the tops of needles and like grafted them onto like tubes. And that was sort of how he started <laughs> the company. And I, I was like, these stories are so interesting and we should, we should save them. And we should share them. And I was having lunch with my editor, Trisha Malcolm. And I was like, Trisha, I really feel like there's a book in here somewhere, but I kind of can't get my, I can't get a hook. I can't get my mind around it. And she just immediately knew, was like, oh, we're going to write a miscellany. And I'm like, what? And she's like, it's like a farmer's almanac. It's like all sorts of information. 
And she's like, this is going to be so fun. And that was when it just kind of coalesced. And I was like, yes, this is perfect. And I spent, it took a while. It was like almost three years from idea to getting to press. And what I would do is I would submit batches of, um, of different entries, we called them. And that way they could have a fact checker go through them, you know, not all at once, but in little bites. And, um, I, I would just start asking people, like I would email people from different places and say, do you have any stories about your company? Or I emailed, um, someone, uh, from Westminster fibers cause they own Susan Bates. And I said, is there, was there ever really a Susan Bates? And they told me the story of Susan Bates and it was just funny. It, it was a lot of fun to write and a lot of fun to like dig around and find all these little oddball stories. Yeah. I could see why it would have taken you so long because you're calling people, you're emailing people and that's a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of digging <laughs> takes, around. Yeah. And a lot of, I guess a lot of courage. I don't know. Cause sometimes you're, you're just sort of, you know, Maybe, maybe not. You just get on, you just kind of ask people these things. They're probably happy to share. Well, people, <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing you know. that amazes you is how many, how much you don't know that's out there. And um, mm. the only trouble, the only hard part was that sometimes people didn't quite understand the concept of the book. And so I would email them and say, do you have any good bits of trivia or stories about your company? And they would just be kind of like, I have no idea what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, people, people did, they were lovely and generous. And I even had good friends. Um, my friend Elizabeth was funny. We, we have coffee sometimes on the weekends and sit together and knit and chat. And she would say, do you know? And she'd give me a little factoid or say, have you thought about this? So she helped tip me off to some things too, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's amusing, but then there's also Um, so like you said, the trivia, the factoids, but there's useful information in here. You know, like you talk about the circular needle history Mm -hmm. and other histories. And so there are things that are just really useful to have in, you know, just as a knitter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. We wanted to put some, some sort of tips and tricks in there too. Yeah. Um, people always ask me about the title, which is kind of a weird word, but ephemera is, means things like ticket stubs and programs (laughs) that you mm-hmm. letters that are very fragile and they can kind of disappear, but we sometimes save them because they remind us of things or places or people. And so I really love that that's the title of the book because these are things that I, I think should be preserved and not lost, but they're fragile. If you don't write them down, they'll be lost. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I also say this is kind of, this book is kind of like my, my love letter to knitters because, um, you know, meeting other people who love knitting as much as I do is just a great pleasure. And um, they've responded so positively to the book that it's really heartwarming. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, it's like you're doing this great service to take all these, these, um, these stories that are just passed down, you know, verbally. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're putting them in, you're putting them on paper. So Serving now they're them. preserved. Exactly. So how much of the trivia or the factoids are yours and other, is it mostly others, you know, like uh, what's, um, you know, how much have you contributed to this book as far as your own knowledge? Um, well, it's sort of hard to say because I've done a lot of research about a lot of things. Um, and I tried to make it as, um, true as I could in the sense of like finding support for things. Um, there's a lot of me just in the sense of, of the different things that I thought to include kind of reflect my own kind of crazy jumping around mind. Um, and a lot of it is just, I just did, would do research and I'd come across, you know, a story in a newspaper or, you know, a little tidbit in a book. So a lot of stuff was there, but you had to sort of look for it to find it. And, and that was really fun for me. Like it was almost like a treasure hunt. I would go to libraries or, you know, look at old newspapers or, you know, even just trying to like bounce ideas off, you know, would this be interesting? Like, is there, is there anything to this? So that was a lot of it, you know, kind of the picking and choosing and and the thinking about what to look for. And I found Mm -hmm. things that, you know, there's a little story in there about the knitting fraternity at Columbia 
Nitta Nata New. <laughs> These <laughs> bunch of college boys decided to start a knitting fraternity and became a big deal. And that was just something I stumbled over in research. Never in a million years knew was out there, had any idea just because I was like persistent, happened to come across it. And so stuff like that was really gratifying to find. I was like, oh, this is great. This is so great. Yeah, just fun surprises. Yeah. So um, as, a, as a writer, what would you say is your biggest struggle? As a writer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're writing your books, what is the toughest part about sitting down to write that book? I actually don't find writing to be much of a struggle. It's always something that's kind of just been something that I can do very easily. I think finding the right topic is important. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, finding just the right way to approach something can be a challenge. Um, and I think sometimes just the whole notion of there's that blank computer screen or that blank <laughs> piece of paper and you almost need to kind of just swallow your doubts and just do like I, I just said to somebody the other day, like first write, then edit. You know, you have mm -hmm. to sort of have mm -hmm. that leap of faith where I'm just going to put something down on the paper and I'm going to try to get through a first draft. And sometimes that's hard for me is kind of just sitting down and not, you know, getting started. But once I start, it kind of flows. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think it's to get the concept down is the most important thing. Like you said, don't edit, just write. Yes. Um, because I know for myself, it's, you know, you, you can't be thinking about, you know, making sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. If you have like an idea in your head, just vomit it on the page. Have you ever heard you that? You have to. Yeah. No, I agree totally. Because <laughs> yeah. there's mm -hmm. part of it is just that that's the way your brain is going to percolate. But but if you self-censor or self-edit too much, then you can't get into that zone where it just pours out on paper. Mm -hmm. And you, it just ends up being watered down too much. And I know that some um, writers say that, you know, once you get that down and you, like you should write horribly, like they've a have actually heard that phrase, it should, which is kind of like, makes you feel a little comfortable. Like, oh, okay, good. I'm just going to write really just whatever, who cares? And then later when you edit, it's you're cleaning up. It's yeah. easy. That's the easy part, they say. So anyway, anyone out there that might be like trying to do that and just doesn't have an they don't have an idea. Um, so, you know, what's next? I mean, on the horizon, like what can we expect from you, Carol? Well, <laughs> I have another book coming out in the fall. Ooh, called, wow. Um, Self-striping yarn studio. Um, I have mm. this sort of series with my publisher called um studio series. I had sock yarn studio, which was things to make with sock yarn other than socks. Lace yarn studio came out last year and that was um, exploring interesting things to do with lace yarn, especially for people who aren't accustomed to using fine gauge yarns. And this is a real passion of mine. I love self-striping yarns. I find them hypnotic. I love sock yarn that makes its own patterns. Um, sometimes I'm like, wow, I must be simple minded because I'm just like looking and it's like, ooh, the color change. Ooh, the color changed again. But I just find them to be endlessly fun and fascinating. And I know that some people like using them but aren't always sure how to use them. So like all of my other pattern books, it has a technical section in the front that kind of lays out these are how this is how they're made. This is how they work. This is why the stripes get wider sometimes and the stripes look skinnier sometimes. Here's what's happened if you run out of the same color in the middle of a row like all these practical things and challenges. And um, and then it was really fun to sort of solicit my friends who design for patterns, um, some really neat, interesting stuff. Um, Well-known people like Fiona Ellis and Patty Lyons and Brooke Nico, um, Amy Gunderson from Universal, who's extremely talented. And then some other people I know who aren't quite as famous, but do amazing work. So um, there's a woman in Philadelphia named Erica Flory who, um, she flies a little under the radar, but she's a really fabulous designer and she did a great pattern for the book too. So that'll be out in yes. August. Well, that's great. Yeah. I work with all of those designers in creative knitting and that would be nice to kind of, you know, get a copy of that book when it I comes will, out. I will totally. And yep. definitely, you know, 
give a review there in, in the magazine. And are you using your yarns? I mean, I know that because we didn't talk about your your uh, black bunny fibers. I mean, you know, is that something that is is being, um, you know, are you are you using the your yarns in the book as well? I or? am. In fact, I just started doing yeah. stripers um, last year. So several of the patterns are made using um, a fingering weight fingering weight strapers that I dyed. But we also use a lot of commercially available yarns too because I, I'm definitely a boutique dyer. I do small batches. I tend not to do like colorways very often. I kind of like to do one-offs. So, um, but yeah, we, we used, um, I call it stripey sock. It's a fingering weight merino nylon blend. And we used that for several of the patterns, um, both alone and mixed in with other yarns, which is fun. Mm. I'd love for you to do another article in the magazine one of these days because you've done some great, great stuff. My pleasure. (laughs) I would be happy to do that. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I'm going to kind of jump into some wrap up questions because we've been on for a while. This has been a great conversation. So thank you so much for taking. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So what's the best advice you've ever received? In general or about? Yeah. I know. Well, in general, let, you know, it can be, yeah, it can be anything. I mean, you know, because any advice that we receive in life kind of flows into everything we do, right? Whether it's knitting or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just think that there's got to be some piece of advice that's kind of always uh, in your back pocket that you kind of remember or, you know, just kind of use as fuel for the fire, uh, you know, when you're, One anyway. thing that I think has helped me a lot has been the concept of start as you mean to go on. Um, and the importance of just the whole package. And um, if you're going to start to do something, don't just do sort of a shoddy job or just take your time, learn as much as you can. And figure out, you know, if if you're going to start a knitting pattern company, then you want to make sure that you think about what it's going to be called and hire somebody to do a good logo and, you know, look out there about patterns, do research, you know, and start from a place that is fairly finished as opposed to just trying out stuff and, you know, meandering around. Um, Like when I started hand dyeing, um, I really didn't do much in the way of labels I just sort of got somebody to do me a logo and it was I loved it but I didn't take the time to like get somebody to make a professional looking label that was printed out I just kind of ran stuff off on and you know as in retrospect I think oh it would have been nice if I started out with a more finished um label just to make the whole enterprise look more professional from the beginning so that's something that you know I have learned over the years is sort of don't assume that the the quality is necessarily going to communicate everything that you need to say that that the presentation is important too and and it's good to think long term about some things um you know if you're I know somebody who who had a a blog and she called herself something that had um a mild curse in the title and when she went to kind of start you know up a pattern company we had this long conversation where she's oh well people know me as this but is it going to alienate people and you know what I mean so like there's sort of that idea Mm -hmm. of like the big Mm -hmm. picture the big package as well as what's inside it and that was something that I, I learned through the years too so so maybe do you think it's more like think of the of the big picture mm-hmm. before you jump into something in a more spontaneous way. Is that also maybe another way of maybe phrasing yeah, it? Absolutely. It's like, mm-hmm. Think of the quality and maybe pay a little bit more for something, you know, like you said, the logo or, you know, the business card or whatever. I mean, those, that's not a good example because you can get those cheap and they're pretty, you can get some pretty cool ones, but you know, yeah, you exactly. Need to, you Point. need to ask people. <laughs> Sometimes it's well worth it to ask. Like, I think we, a lot of us have this idea that we're going to do it all ourselves. But I think there's, I think I learned that it is not at all bad to ask for help or to find people who are really good at something that you're not to help you make a better product. So that's Absolutely. part of it too. Like I was, I resisted the idea of a graphic designer because I thought I couldn't afford it and I thought it wasn't worth it. 
And someone introduced me to someone. She's actually a, a fabulous uh, designer. Her um, business name is Northbound, and she's a knitter, which was amazing. So she really got it. But she helped create business cards and really cute tags and all sorts of stuff with this. She just did an amazing job with the packaging and in a way that I never could have because it was just not my area of expertise. So I think that's part of it too is is learn how to find somebody who does things you can't do well and take advantage of it. Mm, good advice. Great advice. Because we can't do everything ourselves. Uh, no, and we all want to. <laughs> it's wisdom. It's wisdom. It's wisdom, you know. Yeah. So great. Great advice. So, Carol, we have a little surprise here because we're going to give away a copy of your book. Yay. Yay, yeah. So thank you so much for that. You know, I, I have to say the folks at um, Sixth and Spring did such a great job with it. I mean, it's such a lovely book. Like, it looks like the English Book of Common Prayer when you take the cover off. It has a little red bookmark. Yes, I know. I, I noticed that. What a, what a touch. What a it's beautiful. It's just lovely. The, the woman really who did is. the actual design, her name is Diane. Love, love, love her. She just did such a stupendous job. I, I could not have been more pleased with, with the final product in terms of how it's laid out, the different typefaces. So it's really fun. Um, and I hope whoever wins enjoys it and loves it. Awesome. Yes. So now share how the peeps can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Um, the easiest place to find me is through my um, website, www.blackbunnyfibers.com. It's very important that you not leave off the fibers part because then you'll get a totally different kind of website that has nothing Boy. to do with fiber. <laughs> <laughs> True facts. I, I, I'm only like imagining what Black Bunny would do <laughs> anyway. But yes, make sure the fibers. Fibers is the is important part, yes. But um, right. I have a blog that I have to start. I've been lax about it lately, but I do still blog. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and Ravelry. But I really do, um, we have a good time on Facebook. We I, And I keep yeah. in touch with a lot of knitters there. And it's it's been a wonderful thing for me. Um when I have book signings and people come up and they're like, oh, I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I know you. And like, I know about your, your dog and your husband and your kids <laughs> and what you're knitting. Yeah. Like, it's a nice thing. It's like a community. So um, people can also it is. find me there. It's really cool. Well, this was great, Carol. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. I have three teenagers. They don't care about what I say. Oh. <laughs> so the fact that somebody actually wants to talk to me and listen, I'm like, woohoo, oh. it's lottery. I, I just love you. I love hanging out with you, like I said at the beginning. We had the best like, time when we watched the prom, didn't we? Oh, yeah. And the neon dresses. That, Remember the neon dresses? That was the best. This is just like a side conversation for everyone listening. But yes, we went to a knitting show one year and it and it and we were sitting in the bar and, you know, watching the prom. It was prom night. And man, those oh, dresses were amazing. I mean, it was really? just captivating. I couldn't take it, my It was like, being, like watching the red carpet at the Oscars. <laughs> And the kids were sweet. They were really cute. They were very poised. Yeah. Like I was not that poised when I was 17. No, absolutely not. It's a different world yeah, now, Carol, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It really is. So, well, anyway, you take care. Thank and, you so uh, much. you know, I'll hopefully see you in uh, DC. Will you be at TNNA? I absolutely and, will. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to try to think of um, some article ideas that I can pitch to you. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. So. All right, Carol. Well, you, you take care and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds fabulous. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Did you know that you can become a sponsor of Power Pearls? Well, let me share with you how this works. Okay. So first of all, I just want to let you know, if you don't already know this, but the podcast is free. It's always going to be free. But to make this podcast really sustainable for the long haul, I need resources in the form of your contribution as a patron of the show. The podcast is a labor of love, but it does take a lot of my time. And since I'm pretty busy with my day gig as editor of Creative Knitting Magazine, I don't have tons of time to spend on editing my episodes, which can take anywhere from two to three hours per episode. And that's, you know, editing the ums and the ahs and adding intros and outros and music and show notes. And anyway, the list goes on. You can, you can imagine it is very, very time consuming, but I keep going because I'm so passionate and love 
being able to reach you in this way. So realistically, to do this podcast for the long haul and make it sustainable, plain and simple, my goal is to pay to outsource someone that can produce the show and take care of those show notes and take care of all the ums and the ahs so I can focus on what I do best, and that is getting behind this microphone. And if you join me now, you'll get in on the ground floor, and there are many benefits available to you for helping me shape the future of Power Pearls podcast. With your influence and valuable input, we can take this exciting ride together. So you can learn more about how to support the show by visiting patreon.com slash, and that's a forward slash, Power Pearls podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And this is the time that you've been waiting for, isn't it? So I bet you are wanting to know how you can enter for your chance to win a copy of Carol's book, Knitting Ephemera. Now, I have three books. Carol has so generously agreed to do this three books this time instead of just one. So I am giving away three copies of the book. And so here's how you can, you can enter. So go to powerpearlspodcast.com forward slash Carol giveaway. And that's Carol with a C, C-A-R-O-L, Carol giveaway. And that's one word. And then you just put your name in your email and you'll be entered. You'll be entered. So uh, the contest does end though on July 8th, 2016. So if you are listening after July 8th, then unfortunately the contest has ended. So I wish you luck. And uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you uh, next time.